You're listening to a 95 BFM podcast. Welcome back to Ashburton. We're uh, about ready to start now. It's political commentary. With Professor Jennifer Curtin this morning. Kia ora, Jennifer. How are you? I'm good, thanks Rachel. It's great to have you back on the show and crikey there's a lot going on in politics at the moment. It's almost uh, hard to know where to start. We've had first few official days of a new government. Uh, We've got two Deputy Prime Ministers who are going to be job sharing. We've got uh, part of the 100 day plan that's been announced now. Uh, I think let's start with just some first impressions. What what has stood out to you in this last week and in fact in this last month and a bit of negotiations? Well, first of all, I'd say that I've, I've been watching this last few days from Australia and um, I have to say that people here are finding it quite amusing and like what is going on in New Zealand and and, and I'm at a political science conference and so they're, they're almost wanting to talk more about New Zealand politics than they are about Australian politics, which is interesting in itself. But um, it does get people talking, this idea that, that we've had so long to form a government, you know, the longest, We've got these three guys um, navigating really positionality and rather than policy, it seems like. Uh, if a lot of um, Winston Peters and Seymour policies are in that 100-day plan and beyond, it sounds like really just who was going to be. Deputy PM took up more time than we would normally expect to mm-hmm. do. Um, first questions this week is really like, I think, the thing we have to, what we know about media representation of new governments and the honeymoon period, first seven days, really important. Um, that's not just when we hear about the policies or how the coalition's going to work, but also how we get to know um, Christopher Luxon, the Prime Minister. It's the first week where he really gets to present himself. And to be honest, you know, Winston Peters is such a commensurate politician, not, not necessarily... You know, but it's seriously in his blood now and um, able to upstage the Prime Minister in the way that he has for the first half of the seven days is is really quite outstanding and I would say that would be a first for New Zealand politics. Mm. It's been a very interesting time. I think people, particularly in the media, have started to ask who is Christopher Luxon in in the middle of all of this. What, What is his position? Uh, and I think that's particularly come out of, as you said... Uh, the, the sort of way we've seen a lot of uh, capitulation perhaps to New Zealand First and Act's policies. And there has been some discussion about whether that is a, an especially democratic thing that we're seeing at the moment, since those aren't the minority parties. Do you have any thoughts around that in, in the way that this coalition has sort of shaped up? Well, I think Luxon didn't really have anywhere else to go. It wasn't like Peters was in the position he was in the time before, which, you know, in 2017 when we had this situation, when he was going between two parties on the right and the left. So this this was a this was a time when Luxon needed, um, needed Peters. I think in terms of ACT, um, you know, I would think, yes, it's democratic, but only because they have um, the percentage of the vote they have this time. They have had a free ride on democracy for, for many years when they only get 1% of the vote but they get the seat of Epsom. And that's, that's a backroom deal that isn't, not everybody would call that a democratic way of doing it. They need to kind of be a bit more open about always being in, in, um, in a cabinet or in a coalition. 
with national. It's a very interesting uh, set of 100-day policies that we've seen come out yesterday. Has there been anything that's really stood out to you uh, for better or for worse, Jennifer? Well, you know, there's not a lot that they can they can really realistically get done um, that doesn't that's really substantive that doesn't require legislation, and so that's going to be it's going to take time. And so this 100-day plan thing is really it's quite a superficial way of doing public policy um, and policy reform. I suppose it's, you know we've seen what the 49 actions are going to be, and um, Mark Dalda did a really nice kind of count on them. There's 24 you know, for the economy, eight for law and order, and 17 for delivering better public services, which is, you know, public services for a bunch of people, including business, small businesses and so on. So a lot of this is actually going to involve repeal, so it's like a back-to-the-future sort of first step. Um, The only other thing I would say that I think is kind of interesting is when you look at the ministerial list, there's language back in there from the key English time, and we already know that John Key... It's a really important mentor to Christopher Luxon. And now we see, and we know the same for Nicola Willis, she and Bill English um, uh, have had a long-standing um, relationship in terms of political relationship and a fostering and mentoring relationship. And now we see that Nicola Willis, in addition to being Minister of Finance, is going to be Minister for Social Investment. So that language of social investment, mm. which we all wondered would come back, is back. And, and you just kind of, you know, a cynical um, journalist might say, is this just, um, you know, another version of the key English government? You know, will they be a government in their own right? Or, or have we got some, I don't want to use the word puppet, but it just will they be able to dis- distinguish themselves? And right now, looking at this sort of the narratives and the language, it's, it's not looking that different. We are going back to something we've had before. We have also seen some quite, um, I guess, inflammatory discussions already happening, particularly around the use of te reo Māori, around te tiriti, uh, removing gender and sexuality education from schools. These are all quite big social issues that there's been a big push for in the last um, maybe 10 years to have more inclusivity in the way uh, we, we have our, our policies laid out by government. Does any of this strike you as uh, particularly concerning at this point, or what do you think we might see in terms of timelines or anything when it comes to some of these quite uh, social issues that are at, uh, at the heart of some of particularly New Zealand First and Act's policy making? Yeah, this, this is probably, you know, more concerning for National than they're letting on, I would say, because they are very much a centre party. Some of the social issues that you've listed have been championed by, um, by both of the major parties um, at different times and you know like in terms of signing the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People Mm. um, you know that was when we finally endorsed that convention along with countries other sort of English language speaking countries of Indigenous peoples um, it was under the key government that Mm -hmm. that happened. Chris Finlayson was really important in a lot of areas in terms of to treaty Um, and so I, I really don't believe or think that this is wholesale national, this is definitely tail wagging the dog and hopefully, you know, there will be some strong voices within the National Party that will realise that this is reactionary politics and this is, you know, not substantively um, going to take us any, anywhere positive in the future.
And just briefly, before we let you go, Jennifer, it is quite an inexperienced cabinet. It is perhaps um, the the largest proportion of brand new uh, cabinet members that we've seen in a very, very long time, uh, perhaps ever. I, I might be wrong about that. But do you have any thoughts about that, that level of inexperience coming in, uh, in, in one big go? Yeah, I think this one's going to be an interesting one because this was the uh, this was the charge. You know, when the Ardern government was formed, similar um, accusations put to them. I mean, it does happen when when parties are in opposition um, and and people retire, and then the new cabinet is formed when they win again. That there is going to be that degree of inexperience. I think there are some critical experienced ones. But I suppose the risk there is that some of them have quite big personalities um, and could be, could be, you know, like there could be some factional dimensions within Cabinet that might form as a result. The other thing I think is um, the real risk with newbies is not the policy work that they do, but the media work that they do, but also the process work. Like if they don't get themselves familiar with the way that... Um, policy making and law making requires ethical approaches and you know the process and the dotting the i's and crossing the t's all those things that we expect of our ministers according to the cabinet manual they need to be familiar with those otherwise we'll see resignations or you know and and people falling on their sword and there'll be this sort of you know wishy-washy or like people pouring into cabinet and then leaving again and then you know changing ministers like Mm. some kind of roundabout and um so, but he want to be careful, and, and Luxon will have to chair that meeting in the way he says he's able to do as a board of directors, you know, and being a CE, because this is a cabinet that is quite diverse. Mm, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning, Professor Jennifer Curtin, uh, and thanks for getting up so early in Sydney to speak <laughs> with us. Uh, we will talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Take care. Okay. Kia ora. Thanks. You just heard a bit of political commentary. That was a 95BFM podcast. Support 95BFM with a B-card. Go to 95BFM.com slash sign up.